get parents. Thank you so very much. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. I look forward to the opportunity to share with you the students that I so love and care for very, very much. This is a very special opportunity for me. My only worry and the reason why I get concerned before I speak is that I want to do the Word of God justice. I want to give to you what you need at this particular time in your life. And I get concerned about that. I battle about that because I have been with you in classes. I have a class of seven students and I have a class of 650 students with Johnny Moore and I and we teach and we see students at different levels and, and uh, it is, uh, we, it's interesting the conversations that we have with you from the beginning of the semester, especially till now, the, the conversations change, the topics change, the concerns shift to to deeper meanings and deeper things, and, and it is about this time, to be honest, that we need a break, and I'm glad that the Lord provides not only our spiritual needs, physical needs, but our emotional needs as well, so it's good that we're about to go on fall break in, in a few hours, but I want to share with you something, and, and, and if I can preface this lesson this morning by saying to you that I have wrestled with what I was going to share this morning, because again, I wanted it to be exactly what God would have you to hear now in your life situation. You can talk to people that I've studied with and talked to, and, and Johnny Moore, we, we talk a lot prior to convocations, and, and I, I prepared Psalm 46 and Psalm 121, Psalm 139. I've, I've read the readings of Jay Yock and William Kahn. I've, I've considered all their teachings, and I, I'm thinking, okay, this is good, but it just didn't kind of reside in me. It didn't, didn't resonate within me as to what exactly I thought you needed. And I'll be honest, you hear a lot of convocation speakers. You hear a lot of great men and people of God who come here and they expound the deep truths of the scripture. So I consider the previous topics. I consider how close we were from spiritual emphasis week. I consider everything and all the teachings you've been under and all the classes you might have involved yourself in and I just could not come up with a topic. And then one day, about a week ago, it just hit me. In the weirdest way, I was actually out to dinner with my two daughters, uh, Lauren who's seven and Emma who's almost four. We were actually at Doc's Diner and uh, had great service, saw a lot of students, uh, met a few of you. And my daughters were sitting there. My oldest daughter began to say, Daddy, are these all your students? And teaching some of the bigger classes, I actually did see some of my students. And I said, well, I, I don't know them, but I, I know them and, and I know her and, and him and and uh, she started asking me questions about you guys. And um, even, our, even our server, um, I knew kind of from a distance, kind of, she was in a, a larger class of mine, and so we didn't know each other by name, but, but by face we did, and she started asking all these questions. And, and then we had to take our order, and they ordered the, the Jerry Jr. And, um, and I, I honored my, my buddy, I, I ordered the canner, um, wanted to make him feel good, though, Though I was utterly surprised that it was the, I, I was expecting like Turkish food, um, but it was the most American dish I ever ate. I mean, you order the Ergen canner and it's like American cheese and American bread and American whatever, chips and everything. And, and I'm like, I was, but it was big, so it, maybe there's the comparison of my man. 
But I wanted like, I wanted like, I wanted beef, I wanted lamb chops, I wanted like goat kebabs and hummus on the side, you know, and here's all this, this whatever it was. I noticed they did not have the guitarist, by the way. I mean, two tacos, beans, and rice, how hard is that, you know, for this Mexican here? Uh, did I say that out loud? I'm sorry, I, I, didn't, I didn't mean to say that. Um, it would help if I knew Spanish, though. I, uh, I'll tell you this, this, this is totally off the notes. True story, this actually happened. Dr. Godwin, me, his senior associate in Orlando Lobena, they took me to Puerto Rico because uh, Liberty has a, um, we have a teaching site there, we partner with the seminary. So they took me to Puerto Rico, I get off the plane, I go into the terminal, and I purchase something, and I gave them my credit card, they asked for my ID, I gave them my ID, and this lady goes, Senor Gutierrez? I'm like, howdy, you know? <laughs> and uh, she goes, oh, Senor Gutierrez, blah, 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 I'm like, I got nothing. I said, uh... I said, ma'am, I'm sorry, I know, Gutierrez, I, I don't understand what you're saying. And she looks at me and she says, oh, that's so sad. Honest <laughs> oh, truth. So maybe the Gutierrez dish would be the most American, American cheese and, and all that. But either way, I digress. We're eating our meals. We're at Doc's Diner. And all of a sudden, Lauren starts pointing all around and she goes, do you know her? Do you know him? And I said, no, I don't know him, but... But then she pointed to someone that I knew accepted Christ in one of our big evangelism classes. And I said, you know, Lauren, right over there, she's, she's eating with a friend in the gray t-shirt. I said, she, last year, she accepted Christ. She believed in Jesus last year in our class. And she goes, really? I said, see that guy over there? I said, I don't know the other guys he's with, but that guy was from New York. And I remember when he didn't believe in Jesus, he was kind of living a kind of a bad life, but he obeyed God and he said he's sorry. And now he's a strong Christian. Isn't that awesome? And Lauren's starting to get pumped up. And, and I talked about how some other guys were training to be pastors and they've got a little more school left to go. And I said, she goes, you really know these people? And, that, and as soon as that last guy happened, it just hit me. How your stories were bringing her hope. How one day you will teach her in your classroom. And I thought, how awesome is it to have you and your testimonies of whatever path it took to get you to be in a position of strong, a spiritual state to where God is honored and glorified and you without a shadow of a doubt would never defame your Lord Jesus Christ. And I thought, as I'm sharing her all of these stories, she starts to get really encouraged. And I, I, it, just, it just hit me as if the Lord just spoke to me right there. And he says, give everyone encouragement. Before they go home, encourage them that as they go home, just have them go home and just tell their friends and their family members all that the Lord has done and all that the Lord has had mercy on them. Just encourage them to go home and share their story. Because I'm watching right in front of my eyes one of the most precious miracles of my life gets so pumped up about spiritual things and she's only seven from hearing your spiritual story so I want to share a spiritual story with you and all throughout today this morning I just want you to be encouraged that regardless of your past whatever path it took you to become a strong believer in Jesus Christ to be a strong testimony you may not be a theologian you may not be a super Christian or anything but that whatever path it took you to become a strong spiritual Christian I want you to be encouraged I want you to go home and lift your head high to people that knew you in your past in your past life and you can say you know what I was that way but God by by God's grace he has changed my life and I just want to 
to hear of how God changed my life. So I want to encourage you that your change can give me hope. Your change can give your family hope. The title of this morning's message, Your Change, My Hope. Mark chapter 7 begins one of two stories that I'd like to share with you. These two stories are often not intermingled. They seem to be detached and unrelated. But after we share these two stories, I want to link them together. And I want you to see how the testimony of one man changed his whole world. How the testimony of him just telling and going home and telling his friends about what God did in his life. And how he had mercy on him and how it changed his whole world. But we often don't mix up these stories. So I'd like to link them together for you. Mark chapter 7 starts a very familiar story called the feeding of the 4,000. We often hear teachings of the feeding of the 5,000, which is actually the only miracle seen in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The feeding of the 5,000, we hear sermons and all of that, but we often maybe don't hear about the feeding of the 4,000. The same situation occurred where there was some bread, there was some fish, the Lord miraculously divided it, and he fed a mass group of people that had been listening to him for some time. But the feeding of the 5,000 seems to get all the press, but I think the 4,000 is equally as beautiful. Let me describe to you the two differences before we share this first story, and then I want to jump a few years before him. The feeding of the 5,000 occurred in the Jerusalem, or the uh, Capernaum Galilean area, the Jewish area. The feeding of the 5,000 occurred kind of with uh, religious, spiritual people. The feeding of the 5,000 occurred in a highly Jewish area that even though they didn't believe Jesus all the time, they understood some of the spiritual phrases and all of the vernacular and the terms and the language. So, so, so any complaints and arguments were really around kind of friendly fire. It wasn't that bad. They got ridiculed. Few rocks were thrown at them. But this was a really religious area. The feeding of the 5,000 fed a lot of people. People heard their teachings. It was in the west side of the Sea of Galilee in this high Jewish area. But if you cross over to the Sea of Galilee, across this body of water, you get over to what's called the Decapolis area. If you know anything about the Decapolis area, this is far, far from the Jewish religious tranquil area of their day. The Decapolis area was known as the place of the devil. The Decapolis area was filled with pagan temples. The, the, the prophet or the, the god Baal, the Baal cult, was founded in here. It was the Baal cults to where people would sacrifice and worship this god Baal to give them a fertile crop and a fertile harvest that year. And he was the god of fertility. And they would involve themselves in sexual indiscretions and sexual orgies. And they said every time in the winter, Baal would go down to the abyss, which they thought was at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. They, in fact, Luke calls it the abyss on one occasion. They had to persuade him to come up to give them a fertile crop so they would involve themselves in sexual indiscretions. And if you were really serious and you really need to appeal to the Baal God, you would sacrifice him something that was very precious of yours, something that was that was valuable, something that was a, a gift of your fertility. So if you, you can even see descriptions of these, they would create an altar called the altar of Tobit. They would light a fire on it to get this, the arms of this altar just bristling hot. And they would often, as soon as this was near the point to where it was even hot to the touch to where water would even boil. Often if you were really serious about appealing to Baal to give you a fertile crop that year, you would sacrifice your own child on this blistering arms of this altar. Archaeologists have unearthed acres, three layers wide, acres long of babies' coffins over here at the Decapolis today. These people were carnal. 
These people were dirty, deep in sin. There were so many superstitions about these people. Their holy animal was a pig. They thought that it was unclean to enter into their homes because they had superstitions and fears that they would somehow kill people and throw the blood and remains down the drain. So therefore, they wouldn't even come over here. This Decapolis area was absolutely carnal. And in fact, it was actually founded by seven pagan nations. Joshua 3.10 actually lists the seven pagan nations for you. In fact, Joshua says this in Joshua 3.10. It says that you will know that the Lord God is, the living God is among you, and you will out fail, drive out before you. And here they are, the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, Jesubites, all of them, those seven pagan nations, migrated here, founded this area. So while this area where the feeding of the 5,000 took place, had its roots in Judaism and spirituality and at least a God consciousness of some level over here. Their roots and their foundation were utterly based on sin and carnality that the religious people drove out. So this, this had its entire foundation and heritage and roots in carnality. And Jesus is over here and he decides to travel over there and meet those people. And his disciples are saying, wait a second. We're not going over here. We're not going to extend all this goodness and this grace over here. So Jesus says, you know what? I've had the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. I wanted to show them that I'm the bread of life for them. Now I want to go over to these people and minister to them. So Mark chapter 7 takes us there. Mark chapter 7, verse 35, or 31 and following. It says, then he returned from the region of the Tyre, of the coast of Tyre and Sidon, which is in the Jewish area, to the Sea of Galilee, over to the region of Decapolis. So now he's over here. He brought unto him a man that was deaf, speech impediment. They begged him to lay his hands on him, taking him away from the crowd. There's tons of people. When he comes here, he's healing them. And there's tons of crowds and multitudes. In fact, the language here is used of the word of crowds and multitudes of a crowd that where you, 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 you cannot see the end of the crowd anymore. That's the Greek term right here. He had to pull people away from the masses that were surrounding him. And they stayed with him for three days. Hopeless people needed hope. So Jesus shows hope to the masses and started the feeding of the 4,000. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. In those days, the multitudes being very great, having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I've had compassion on the multitude, the mass crowd, I can't even get my eye around, because they have no, they've now continued with me three days and they have nothing to eat. They were so hungry for the teaching of Christ. Verse 3, and if I send them away, hungry into their houses, they'll faint on their way, for some of them have come from a long way off to hear the spiritual teaching and healing. Verse 4, then his disciples said to him, how can you satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? Verse 5, he asked them, how many loaves do you have? He said, seven. Verse 6, so he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves, gave thanks, broke it, and gave them to his disciples and set them before them. And they set them before the multitude, verse 7. And they also had some small fish, and having blessed them, he said, set them before them, verse 8, and they ate and were filled, note that word in a moment, and they took up seven baskets left over, and now those that had eaten were 4,000 people. 
These people were so hungry and so thirsty for righteousness, for healing, for spiritual truth, that they just absolutely lavished themselves upon the Lord, and he is surrounded by people, and they stayed for 72 hours hearing their teaching. They were so hungry because they were so desperate, and they were hungry. They had heard and, and, and saw that the Lord is good. They heard the testimony, and they wanted to see Jesus, and Jesus says, I've got to feed them, and so miraculously he fed them. It's interesting if you read the passage of the feeding of the 5,000, after all the bread was collected, there was 12 baskets, 12 tribes of Israel. And then in here there were seven baskets collected. He's saying, I'm the bread of life for the Jewish religious people. I'm the bread of life for these people as well. But I want you to notice something in Mark 8, verse 8. Notice that verse again. It says, they ate and were filled. This word filled is the, is the verb kortazo in Greek. It means to be absolutely stuffed, satisfied. The Lord didn't just curb their appetite. He didn't just appease them with a morsel to get them back or at least to give them a sample of goodness. He literally fed them spiritually, fed them emotionally, and fed them physically to the point to where spiritually, physically, and emotionally they were apt absolutely satisfied. They were stuffed. This word is the exact same word of when it describes people who have eaten a very large meal and they can hardly move because they are just stuffed. Some of you going home, you've got a homemade meal waiting for you. Awesome. Oh, mom's going to cook something really good. You have said, mom, I have lived on the canner all semester long. I need something. I, I tell you, and, and you're going to drive home, and as you get closer to home, and if you, like I used to drive Detroit all the time, and I used to get on that Ohio Turnpike, man, and just fly because my mom's got this great meal. And there's those meals that you look forward to all day long, and when you get there, and if the meal's bad, it ruins your whole day, but it, it's going to make your whole day, and you, you're thinking, I've got this 12-ounce filet, medium, medium rare, salt, garlic, butter. I've got baked potato just loaded with whatever you can throw on it. I've got cold shrimp cocktail. I've got this crispy lettuce, sharp cheddar cheese, croutons just swimming in ranch dressing. I mean, it's just, you're just... And you, you get there, you've waited all day long, and you scarf it up in two minutes, and you are just, you, they, they can just roll you out of the chair. And you just, you just sit there, and you're just like, oh, daddy happy. You know, this is just, you're just it's nap time, put slippers on, I'm, you know, I'm done. That's the same word. They literally were stuffed. And if you've ever studied the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, the same word is used. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for you will be satisfied. If you, no matter who you are, if you want God's righteousness and his truth, and his healing, and his spirituality, and his grace, and his mercy, and his hope, all you have to do is ask him, and he won't tithe his goodness to you. He won't just give you a sample of his goodness. He will literally fill you up and give you hope inside. He will literally 
satisfy you. And he goes to the most darkest, deepest, carnal place in his world. And he satisfies them. Let me push pause right here and tell you this. There will be some people that you go home to that will not believe your testimony because they know you. And the hardest thing even for Jesus was to go back to his hometown. He says, doesn't even a prophet have honor in his home country? Literally, you may not have people that come to you and want to listen to you because they know what you've done. And listen, what will change their thought about you will not be theology. Even though your testimony is grounded on great truth, it will not be the most acute points of doctrine. It will be you simply saying that, listen, I was that way, and I did that, and, there, and, and I'm not going to deny it, but I'll just tell you this. The Lord had mercy upon me, and I was deep and dark in sin, and yes, and you can name it, and you can probably remember more things than I can when you observed my life, but I'm telling you that God, I, I saw what I didn't have, and I wanted his hunger. I hungered after his righteousness and after truth, and he simply gave it to me in full and God satisfied me he'll fill you up he'll satisfy you they leave they go back to their Jewish hometown where it was kind of their comfort zone and they started doing all kinds of things now that's a great story of how God will go to the lowly and the wretched and and the carnal and the deep in sin, and he'll forgive them, and he'll satisfy them. That's great, but I want to share another story that makes it even better. Because that was the second time he visited there. He had been there before. That trip was a little easier to take, even though they didn't want to go there, and his disciples complained all along the way. That mass of people was the witness of the second time Jesus was there. That didn't just happen. I think we get this impression that Jesus might have walked into a room and everyone just all of a sudden just bowed their knee. You know, you, you check Matthew 13, 55, John 7, and there are some people that look straight in the eyes of God and said, eh, we'll talk about this later. This miracle of the feeding of 5,000, these throngs of people coming to him didn't just happen. Something preceded this event. This was the, the feeding of the 4,000 was the second time he made his visit there. Let me take you two years ago. Two years before this, if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 4, two years ago. Mark chapter 4, before they had ever visited there, before they had ever stepped on shore, before they ever saw the crowds, before they ever saw the multitudes and the miraculous things God did, the very first time, the only time at this point he had ever decided to take his disciples over there, they were early in their ministry. They were finding their comfort zone around the believers and the pockets of Christ followers here. They were over here in their comfort zone. They didn't want to go to that despicable place. That was the dark side. They often called that the other side. That was, that was literally he had to cross over the Sea of Galilee and go to this carnal world. They had never been there before and the Lord Jesus decided one day that we're going to go over there the very first time and he got met by by opposition. Mark chapter 4, verse 35, it says, On that day when evening had come, Jesus said unto him, Let's go to the other side. And the disciples are, Excuse me, Lord, you over there, 
Look at all the results that are happening here. You want to go to that deeply dark, sinful place over there? You want to go to where they kill children over there? You want to go where they do not worship the name of Yahweh? Do you want to go over there to where they blaspheme? They are murderers. They are slanderers. They are debauchers. They are adulterers. They are fornicators. They mock the name of God. I've never been there, but I hear they even kill their children and draw the remains down the drains of their house. They are unclean. Their holy animal is a pig. There's no way. And Jesus says, we're going over there. So he drags them out of their comfort zone, and here is how the story goes. Mark chapter 4, verse 36. Leaving the crowds they enjoyed over here, they took him into a boat, just as he was, and the other boats were with him, verse 37. And on their way there, there was a huge windstorm, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was filling up with water, and they say, see, that's what you get. That's what you get when you start touching and dirtying yourself with dirty people. That's what you get when you leave all the beautiful public results, and all the things that God is doing, and you go touch the lowly what should you expect and it gets worse verse 38 when he was in the stern jesus was asleep on the cushion they woke him up and said come on jesus don't you care about this you're taking us over here now there's a storm he awoke rebuked the wind said to the sea hush the wind ceased there was a great calm and he said then why are you guys afraid where's your faith they were filled with great fear and they said to one another where, where who is this then that even the winds and the seas obey them they could not believe that on their way to this spiritually dark place, they're in this storm. In fact, they had a superstition that literally if you died on the sea, that the death angel would walk on the, on the water and literally take you down to the abyss. That's why every time Jesus is walking on the water during the storm, they're freaked out because that's exactly what the superstition was. And here comes a storm again. Seasoned fishermen are scared to death. Not necessarily the storm, but because they know that they're dealing with evil. They're going to walk right into the heart of dark people and it's as if maybe the Lord is trying to stop them and keep them away and Jesus says no listen I've said we're going to go over there and you got to trust me here I need to reach those people the first time I need to reach those people so they park their boats on the shore the first step onto the beach they see one man here was their welcoming committee Mark chapter 5 verse 1 they came to the other side the first time, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus just stepped out on the boat, immediately there met one of a man who was in the tombs with an unclean spirit. He was a possessed man. Verse 3, he lived among the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with the chain. And he had often broken the chains and the shackles, and he rent the chains apart. He broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Verse 5, night and day in the tombs around dead people, which was unclean. In the mountains, he was crying out, cutting himself with stones. And as soon as that guy saw Jesus and the disciples, he made eye contact with them and ran towards them. Oh my goodness, disciples are scattering. Disciples are jumping back in the boat. They're cowering behind Jesus' knee like a cowardly little child. And it's just like out of the frying pan, into the fire. That's what we expect. Isn't this kind of the radical kind of people that are here? They're possessed, they're crazy, they're cutting themselves, they're in the tombs, they're dirty people. And Jesus is just standing there calmly looking at a soul that needs help. When everyone wrote him off and said, let's get back in the boat, Jesus is standing at this demonic, crazy man and saying he needs help. The man runs up to Jesus, verse 7, and says this, crying out with a loud voice, says, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you, do not torment me. 
Verse 84, he said, come out of that man, you unclean spirit. Verse 9, Jesus asked him, what's your name? The demon replied, we are legion, for we are many. It's about 6,000 demons. Verse 10, then he begged him earnestly, don't send me out of the country. Now there was a great herd of pigs feeding on the hillside. He, they begged them, send us into the pigs. So he did. Verse 13, he gave him permission. The demons went into the unclean the pigs. They went over the steep bank, numbering about 2,000, and all the pigs rushed down to see their holy animals just chucking over the over the cliff. Verse 14, the herdsmen saw this and fled, I would too, and told the city and the country, and all the people came to see what would just happen. So here's this crazy man that the Lord relieves of this oppression, clothes them, sees them in their right mind, and calms their biggest social problem. This wasn't just a taste of what their people were like. This was the carnal, depraved people's outcast. This was a guy that literally was a man that even the deepest, most darkest people didn't even want to deal with. They couldn't even handle him. He's the darkest and the worst of the worst, and they couldn't even contain him. And Jesus just spoke a word and calmed his soul. Demons go into their holy animal. Pigs go flying in the sea, then everyone comes out and you think, oh my goodness, are they going to thank Jesus for just healing their number one social problem? Are they just going to say, listen, we've got more problems here, can you come around? Here was their reaction, Mark chapter 5, verse 15. They came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, 6,000 demons, sitting there, clothed in his right mind. And they were all afraid, verse 16, and those that had seen it described them to what has happened with the demon-possessed man and the pigs. Verse 17, here you go, here's the reaction. And they began to ask Jesus to leave. To leave? Jesus just calms their, their whole social situation and they want him to leave? He just demonstrated his power and they say, get out of here? I'll tell you this by experience, when you tell your story and you start to bring truth to bear and people start seeing when you go home and you start sharing your testimony that God's truth is real, it starts to chisel away at their foundation and all of a sudden it'll come a moment where people will see that truth is literally rocking their spiritual world and it's just a lot to take and this, this group just needed time to process it. That's why you just by piece by piece start witnessing to people because once truth hits their heart, it is going to be a radical change and they're, they're just numb. Their holy animals gone. This problem that they couldn't solve. This man was powerful, but God was omnipotent, literally able to solve their problem. And they're like, I need out of here. Get, get out of here. This is, get out of here. And so Jesus didn't even step off short two steps. And he says, fine, I'll leave. They didn't even get five feet onto the shore. And he said, fine, I'll leave. And so they go back to their boats. And this man, this one man that God changed turned around and made one of the most beautiful requests that a believer can make. Mark chapter 5, verse 18. He was getting into the boat. The man who had been possessed with demons begged Jesus that he could hang around with him. Can I be with you, Jesus? I saw your goodness. You changed my life. You gave me a hope that no one else even could. None of my friends, family, anything, any help. They just discarded me and no one gave me a chance. You gave me a chance and gave me hope. Can I come with you? Jesus replied, no. No. Jesus, can I come with you? I just... I just want to be around the comfort zone of someone that loves me. 
I just want to be and embrace the power and be around people that want to talk about the change that God has made in my life. I want to be around people that talk about Christianity and talk about spirituality. I want to be around people that value you, Lord. Can I go in the boat with you, with your people that tell people about Jesus? Because I want to. I want to be in this bubble. I want to be in this comfort zone. He says, no. But here's what I want you to do. Verse 19, he said to him, go home to your friends. Tell them simply how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy with you. Go home. Tell your friends. Tell them of what God has done for you and how he's had mercy on your life. Don't hang around with us. All I want you to do, you don't have to be a theologian, a super Christian. Just go home and tell your friends of how, what the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on your life. And he sends them away. And he's the only believer on the shore. And he goes away. And here's this man just standing there. The disciples go back. They go do their ministry. They have the feeding of the 5,000. They have all these miracles, all these teachings. They're building great crowds. Then two years later... Jesus says to them, I want to go back over there. And they're like, are you kidding me? We just left a crazy man. Sure, he's clothed in his right mind, but I'm not going to hang around the guy. Did you know that they're horrible people? They're dark and they're carnal. Do you know those people? Did you remember the guy we met there? We didn't even get five feet off the shore. And you want to go back there. Two years later, Jesus says, we're going back to the other side. Because God can change a life. And with one life... A change of a world can occur. So Mark chapter 7, verse 31, same verse. Then he returned from the region of Tyre, went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee, into the region of the Decapolis. And they brought him a man that was deaf and had a speech impediment and begged him to lay hands on him. And there were so many people, he had to take them away from the crowds. That guy did his job. That guy took the truth of Christ, and all he said was this, I don't know all about this Jesus I just met 10 minutes ago. I don't know all about this truth. I'm not a theologian. I'm not a super Christian, but I've just been given this mandate. God cleaned me up. God changed my life, and all I'm going to do is go home, tell my friends of what the Lord has done in my life, and how he has had mercy upon me. And this guy went and shared, and his entire country came to Jesus and multitudes were saved and the feeding of the 4,000 was sparked by one testimony, one testimony of change. But all this hope, you can be that testimony. You can be that changed life. You can go home, and isn't it ironic that you in a few hours are going home back to your hometown. You can be that life that says, listen, I'm not a theologian. I'm not even a religion major. I don't know a lot about truth, but I just know this. I've come home to walk away from the spiritual climate that I so enjoy and the spirituality that people enjoy, but I needed to get out of this world, go home to the people I love and just say, listen, I just need to tell you simply what God has done for me and how he has shown mercy upon my life. That's all I know, that once I was blind, but now I see. I hungered and thirsted after righteousness, and God completely satisfied me. Your change can be my hope. Your change, your testimony, in a few hours from now, can be the hope to so many people.
About a week ago, I went down near Danville area and I went to Green Rock Prison, a medium security prison. I looked in the eyes of men that did some grotesque things. I talked to them about spirituality. We talked to them about some liberty classes and so on. And I left and I'll be honest, I thought to myself, where's their hope in this? The one gentleman talked about his release date and how he wants to learn the scriptures to be able to share with his hometown if they'll listen to him. And you know what I shared him? The words of Jesus. And the same words of Jesus to him are the words of Jesus to you. In a few hours, he just says this, students, go home. Go home to your friends and tell them what the Lord has done for you. And tell them how the Lord has had mercy on you. Go home and tell your friends of what the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy upon you. Because your change, your testimony, your life, your hunger and thirst after righteousness, your change can be my hope.